The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Professor Joel Kim. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Continuing our series in the wisdom literature, we turn in the New Testament to the book of James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And the song chosen by our pianist might make sense as we talk about the taming of the tongue. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 in the book of James. Hear now the word of the Lord. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire! And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So far the uh, reading of his word. Recently, I read an interesting article in a Korean newspaper. A Christian organization in Korea, along with an educational channel, not unlike the PBS in the States, did a social experiment in 2011 for junior and senior high school students. To observe the kind of languages that they used throughout the day, they provided four kids, two in junior high school and two from high school, to record four hours of their day, just to record what they talk about and the language that they use. The result? On the average, they cursed 194.3 times in four hours, each student. These were not students who are known for their extraordinary coarse language, or perhaps Koreans curse more than other individuals, but these are actually just ordinary students who are talking and going about their daily routine without a whole lot of change. This means that these students cursed 49 times per hour, one every 75 seconds. When one of the students heard the final tally, he was surprised, and he said, I didn't even fight that day, was the only comment that he made, because if a fighting was involved, clearly, the numbers would have been higher. 
The result of sin and the, the kind of sinfulness that uh, are displayed in our lives are not just simply about lust or something very public. It affects the way we do a lot of things, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act, even the way we speak. It's not surprising then to us that both the book of James as well as Proverbs spend a great deal of time on language about the way we speak and the words that we ultimately use. And what's intriguing for us this morning is that it begins in chapter 3 with a warning for teachers, perhaps appropriate for you and I. Paul considers, and James does too, since this is book of James, uh, here teaching to be a very high calling, high on the list of gifts that the Spirit bestows upon the church. Unlike a prophet who delivers direct revelation from the Lord, teachers have the responsibility of edifying the congregation by expounding upon the Lord. Then why does James discourage people from teaching here? Why is he so negative about people seeking to teach? Well, given his overall teaching in the book of James, some struggled with arrogance, and perhaps some of us do here. Others sought leadership without necessary qualifications, especially moral ones, and some teachers were causing divisions and quarreling that James criticizes throughout his writing. But there is one particular reason for discouragement, which is found in actually chapter 3, verse 2. Teachers are susceptible to criticism because they regularly engage in an activity that is fraught with danger. And what's fraught with danger? Speaking, using words, saying things as a part of what we do. If anyone here this morning cannot identify with what James is saying and this danger that he mentions, then indeed you're a perfect man and woman, as James actually points out. But that's not how James sees himself, nor how many of us see ourselves as well. As he says in verse 3-2, we all stumble in many ways, he says. This is where Proverbs 18, verses 6 and 7 remind us, a fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating, he says. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. This is the reason for the caution. Because your work entails this danger on a daily basis, this is not something that everyone should be rushing to do on a regular basis. The reason is speech is powerful. Words are powerful. I mean, really, James, is it that powerful, people might ask? Well, he points out that indeed it is. He draws upon three illustrations. In verse 3, he talks about horses. I don't know much about horses, but James refers to a small bit that can be placed in the horse's mouth and tame and control the whole animal. He talks about ships in verse 4. I don't know much about ships, but James says a very small rudder controls a very large ship even in the midst of very strong winds, he says. And he talks about fire in verse 5. I don't know much about fire either, but James says a small fire can set up a great fire that becomes uncontrollable. Proverbs 16 agrees with this when he says, a worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. 
For those of you who lived here in San Diego long enough, in 2007, October, there was a big fire called the Witch Creek Fire. We get fires maybe every five or six years that expand and grow quite a bit. The reason I remember the date very well is because Simeon, my second child, was born in September 20. And it was, he was only about a month old when we got a reverse 911 call because there was a fire about a mile and a half from my home. For those of you who were teaching and working here, you might recall we actually closed down the school for a week, having placed everything in the, uh, the little room in the back where there is uh, fire prevention. This fire was wreaked havoc in San Diego. I still remember this because we're packing up our minivan. We packed everything we thought were important, things such as pictures, computers, um, clothes for kids. We found out later on, we didn't actually pack any clothes for us. We were in, in a bit of a rush. When we packed everything in the car, only half of the van was all packed. In fact, we took bikes and toys as a result, heading up to our in-laws. Home. Our conclusion during that weekend was we either need to buy more expensive things or 99% of the things that we have in our home are unimportant to us, ultimately. And that, that I think is still true for many of us today. But that fire was enormous. I think a million homes were displaced in San Diego County. Do you actually remember what began that fire? After much investigation, it was reported that the strong winds knocked down a power line and it began what the newspaper called a small fire that expanded into this giant fire that made all of us evacuate at that point. It's the small thing that becomes a big thing. This is why James is able to conclude, so also the tongue is a small member in our body, yet it boasts of great things, he says. Simply put, words and speech, while seemingly small, are powerful. It's powerful in good ways. We can use our lips and our words to speak of the praises and beauty of God. But what James wants to remind us of is the corruption of our speech in our sinfulness. James 3.6 is notoriously difficult to untangle. He strings together multiple nominatives which don't relate to one another very well because there's only one verb involved. Perhaps the way the NIV actually translates it might be most clear to us when it says the tongue is also, tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I think you understand the point that he's making. Just like a small fire that can cause a big fire, your tongue and your words are fires. As John Calvin says, a slender portion of flesh contains the whole world of iniquity. The tongue is destructive, he says in verse 8. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, James doesn't himself spend the time, although we can see glimpses of it elsewhere in James, to show how the tongue destroys. But perhaps we can gain a picture from, of what this destruction looks like in multiple places in Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing, he says. 15, 1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, 
but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin is how the Proverbs writer describes it. Perhaps for those of you who are married, have seen things escalate because of the way we speak to one another. The issues are small and often only days later we forget what the starting issue or the symptom was. What we do remember, however, are the words spoken and how we actually dealt with one another. This is the power of speech and words. And according to verses 9 through 12 of James, speech and words give us a window into our hearts. Because for many of us who are believers, we practice things that are inconsistent. There's a duplicitousness in the way we do things. That is in verse 9, he says, we bless our Lord and Father, and with the very same lips, we curse people who are also made in the likeness of God, we're told. Verse 10 goes on to say, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Then he uses three natural analogies that indicate that this cannot be. Water from a spring, fruit on a tree, salt water, and the mixing of fresh water to explain that these inconsistencies should not be for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. This is why he says in verse 10 simply, my brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be. Brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be. As Paul Tripp says in his book called The War of Words, our word problems are our heart problems. It is indeed a, indeed a window into our hearts and what preoccupies and occupies our mind and our feeling. Matthew 15 says this, doesn't it? Jesus says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and it defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, Jesus says. Have you given due consideration to how you speak and what you say? Have you even prayed at times that the Lord will help you to control what you say and how you save them, say them? Have you considered and seen in your churches how issues have escalated, oftentimes in a, in a way that's uncontrollable where the fire becomes too big for you to handle? This ought not to be. It's sobering. And verse 8 reminds us how sobering this is when he says, no human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. I think that's right. But what we cannot do, God can, is the solace and the hope that we have. We who died along with Christ and resurrected with him have been made anew. We are transformed by the continued work of the Holy Spirit and are daily becoming more like Christ Jesus, Lord, not only in what we do, but even in our words and our speech. For those of us 
who have been born again Christ Jesus and placed where he is, according to Colossians. We are new individuals, people who find ourselves along with Christ in heaven above. If that's the case, there is something that we have to keep in mind. I, as an immigrant, one of the struggles we had initially was the issue of accents and how people can identify that we're immigrants by the way we speak. The S's sounding like Z's were particularly difficult. Jesus, pleasure. I remember the first year here practicing pleasure a hundred times a day just to get rid of what I perceived was a strong accent that needed to disappear. When one person over a phone uh, and after the phone conversation, met me for the first time and said, you know, talking to you over the phone, I thought you were a Caucasian. Boy, that made me feel good. For some reason, that was a goal that I strove after. Now I don't think about that a whole lot anymore for a lot of different reasons. We all have accents. We're reminded of this when we go to different English-speaking countries, and they all have different accents. In fact, they'll tell you we're the one with the accent. But it does give us a reminder of the fact that we as his people, who are now his citizens, his people, there is something about the way we speak that should reflect heaven to which we belong. There's a heavenly accent that we need to be mindful of that comes naturally as our second language because of Christ Jesus and what he has done for us. It's hard for us to make that concrete, I realize. And one of the ways we can see this and perhaps helpfully lead us in this direction was pointed to me by a good friend, Bill Godfrey, who mentioned this particular section in Derek Kidner's commentary on Proverbs. In his introductory section, he talks about a guide where he says, words at their best. What are some qualities of believers and their words when they're at their best, he says, four characteristics are seen, and I'm gonna leave you with these thoughts. First, these words are honest, honest. As Proverbs 16:13 says, righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. We have an obligation to reflect God's image of his honesty and faithfulness and our truthfulness in what we speak. Second characteristic is, is that there are few. There are few. Ironically, Proverbs 17.28 points this out in a reverse way when it says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. As 10.19 goes on to say, when words are many, transgressions are not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent he says. This is a great reminder for us in a day where we proliferate the things that we say, not only by our conversations and speech, but the things that we type and write into social media, into places that we've never imagined before. Here, wisdom in our words require not only honesty, but the fewness. And there's something to that that we ought to keep in mind. Third characteristic of wise words is they are calm. They are calm. Proverbs 17.27 says, He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. There are three reasons, Kidner says, this ought to be kept in our minds. First, 
it allows time for a fair hearing. Two, it allows tempers to cool. Third, its influence is potent because more often than not, soft words, as Proverbs says, breaks bones. Fourth, not only are they honest, not only are they few, not only are they calm, they are apt. They are appropriate for the occasion. Words are wise when they are matched to proper occasion and shaped to the necessary task. As Proverbs 15.23 says, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. As James began in chapter 3, friends, we are heading into serving the Lord in ways that require us to speak and teach a lot. It requires care. It requires dependence. It requires great wisdom from the Lord as you carry on our task. May the Lord grant us wisdom this morning by His Spirit to know what to say and to think that all that we say may bring glory to His name and exalt Christ, who is our Lord and King, who sanctifies us even now. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that we, like James, often sin in the way we speak and what we say. Forgive us in Christ Jesus, our Lord, who continues to sanctify, change, and transform us into the kind of sons and daughters you desire us to be. Sanctify our lips, O Lord, that as you have given us words to speak, that brings life because of the power of your word, we ask that, O Lord, you teach us, you sharpen and mold us, so that what we say, both in private and in public, with our families, with the extended family of Christ Jesus our Lord, and even to those who are strangers to us, not only relationally, but also in the Lord. We pray that you guide us, O Lord, so that all that we say may be seasoned with salt, that they may be wise, that they may be truthful and honest, that they may ultimately bring you honor and glory. For we pray these things in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Copyright 2017, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.